This is Coda Radio, episode 62, for August 12th, 2013. Everyone, you're listening to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode's brought to you by our two fine sponsors, GoDaddy.com and Directory Wizards Unity Sync. I'll tell you more about both of those fine products as the show goes on. My name is Chris. We stream this episode live on a Monday morning. And of course, joining us every single week is the always excellent, sometimes grumpy, and on the East Coast, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hey there, Michael. Good morning from the Jersey Shore. How's it going over there? Not bad, Chris. Yeah, yeah. My reputation yeah. for being crazy and a little bit uh, mutable, still intact. Nice! Good! So, uh, listeners from last week will remember that me and Chris both decided that getting an office would be a bit too costly. Yeah, probably a bad so idea. I, after after some deep, you know, and really the, whole, the result of the whole show was the conclusion yeah. you went from, I'm going to buy an office to the end saying that would be a ridiculous move on my part. And this morning I signed a lease. So, <laughs> keeping my pattern of saying I'm not going to do things and doing them. Yeah, good, good. <laughs> you're, you're, you're right on track. <laughs> so, basically, if you've learned anything from this show, it's basically if I absolutely say no to something, I'll have it done in a week. Oh, no. Okay, all right. So, um, all right. I mean, for those keeping track at home, and not mark this one off on your quarter radio scorecard. Uh, but, okay, so what... what well, what what happened? What happened? I thought I thought we came together as as brothers, and we decided we would pers- we would push on in our homes under in, within within this within the pact of rationality that we had formed between each other. So, <laughs> okay, the price was right. Oh, okay, all right. <laughs> the Base was bigger than I was looking for. Oh, and. It's less about the consulting stuff and more about the uh, games company that I haven't leaked a thousand times already. Is this? Yes. Yeah, it's all about business. Because I'm finding that all you creatives, in quotes, with your black turtlenecks, just really can't work at home. Well, and if you're working with people, you know, when you're working yeah. with a team, I think it kind of changes the game. Uh, I think it changes the factoring a lot. See, Because I was really coming from a standpoint of somebody who kind of you know, is sort of running the whole show. And then, you know, I have like a little spot for people to come in and hang out in the studio and then they go home. <laughs> and that's the thing. I mean, not that I w- won't use it as well for my consulting. I mean, why not? Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's really going to be mostly about the games business because it, there's just so much inefficiency there. We're working with a group of people and not having the space. It just isn't worth it. I hear you. I hear you. Well, you'll have to keep us posted on how it turns out. Now, I can live vicariously through you. So you just go make all the mistakes you feel like making, so that way I don't make those mistakes. Well, I'll let you know if I'm wasting money. Okay. We'll see. We'll I have see. a feeling I have a feeling it was the right move. But. All right. Well, maybe maybe we'll find out more about uh, that later on, like uh, how you're going to be paying for that with some game that probably you you don't have any comments on, you're not working on. Some game that just got canceled? Rumored. Rumored. What? Nothing. All right, so uh, we also got some good feedback this week. I think we got a lot of people kind of thinking about stuff. Should we jump into some of that? Let's do it. All right, our first email this week comes in from George, or just G as he put it. He says, uh, 
Hi, Chris and Michael. First, great show. Probably the funnest dev show I've ever seen or heard. Wow, how about that? Now, my question. These days, I'm thinking more and more about leaving my full-time job as an SEO specialist and becoming a freelancer. However, I don't want to quit my job right away. I'd like to start with some small-scale projects first, and then, when I feel comfortable enough, dive into freelancing. The problem is is that I have absolutely no idea how I'm supposed to combine a full-time job with a freelancing career until I reach that comfort level, which will allow me to quit. Any advice you can offer? Keep up the good work. G. Uh, Chris, I got nothing. You got no ideas for him? Well, I was kind of on my ass when I started consulting, so... Um, You know, sometimes you just fall backwards into it, don't you? Yeah, I didn't have a choice. It was kind of... um... I mean, I imagine if you're working a nine to five, you could just take on a few small clients and work that into your evenings. Yeah, I mean, right. Why not, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, I think yeah. what this is is uh, this is one of those questions that only G can answer because it's a it's what it is is what's your line as far as how much work you can do because what you're going to have to do is uh, you're going to have to take on evening and weekends. And you're just going to have to work that until you're at the breaking point, and then you're ready to... And that breaking point could either be a money thing or it could be a time thing. I mean, I have a friend who did this where once he made equal money consistently for three months to what he was making at his job, then he resigned. Right. Um, you could also go the other route, too, where, you, you know, where you, it's one, if you're doing something that requires a lot of time for thought and a lot of time for preparation and a lot of time where even when you're not actually doing the actual work, you still need time, uh, you might have to do one of those leap of faith moments where you have to take a leap and, and you have to jump over a gap where there might be a revenue gap. And if you're going to do something like that, it'd be best to set some money aside for a few months. You know, Can you set aside three months worth of pay from your nine to five, then make the jump? Or can you, can you take on two clients and sort of let them know, hey, this is sort of a part-time thing, but I'm building this up. So I might not be available from nine to five all the time, but I'll try to get back to you within a couple of hours if you send me an email and it's I'll work tough. on it. You know, and yeah, well, you just got to make that call. I mean, I would say a bigger thing is when you're trying to figure out what rates to charge, don't divide out your salary into hours because uh, that's not the right number. Yeah, it doesn't work like that because there's a lot more than just the hours. You'll get hit with taxes and you'll be in a lot of trouble. Right. And all the little things that come up in between that are kind of hard to put on a timesheet, but you still end up getting nickel and dimed over. Oh, sure. <laughs> Phone calls. Um, Quick emails. Exploding MacBooks, yeah. Even just logging in and restarting a service real quick. Oh, yeah, I just logged in and restarted the web server. It took me 10 seconds. And then there's all the bookkeeping. I mean, you you need to really think about how you how you can balance this first. Because um, one risk is that if you take on too much while you sell the job, you'll do poorly at your job and then also piss off your new client. Yeah, you right? don't want to suck at two things. One thing I've heard of people doing is actually telling their employer that they're, they really don't want to be an employee anymore. And get them as an initial client. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If you have that kind of relationship, that would that would be ideal. I've also heard of employers firing people in the spot for that. So yeah. it's kind of, yeah. hmm. you know, it depends on your state. For instance, in New York, New Jersey, it's employee at will. So, you know, if you're going to have that conversation, be ready to walk out that day. Um, I hate to say it, but really, it's about money, right? You need you need to know. Do you have a family? What's the financial? screen point where you can't you know pay your rent or your mortgage or whatever it is right Right. yes i i i am in complete agreement and that's all of these things are internal lines that he has to draw yeah i mean i i'm fairly conservative so my you know i would say my screen points are a lot you know really i'm screaming but it's not that bad right i i keep month i try to keep months back as a as a safety Mm mm-hmm 
I don't always succeed when I blow up Apple products. <laughs> They're surprisingly, they cost more than my rent. <laughs> In fact, usually they cost more than the rent in the office and the house combined. Ouch, so, ouch. Yeah. That is, you know what that is? Inappropriate? It is inappropriate pricing. You no, know, you asked me on the pre-show what I thought the new Mac Pro cost. I think th- three grand or more yeah. minimum. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. yeah. It's just ridiculous. Yeah, I, I can't see it being, especially um, especially when you put those Xeon processors in there and then you also put those business class ATI cards in there. I'm sorry. Yeah, and I'm, I'm buying the consumer ones with the Intel chips, so I can only imagine the Xeons have to be. Yeah, but I think like the chips, yeah. the CPUs alone are like $1,200 in that thing. And it's your base oh, price right really there. The, wow. Yeah, okay. I think yeah, I think so. No, I'm sure Apple gets some sort of sweetheart bulk deal from Intel. Yeah, but but if I was Joe Blow buying those off Newegg, I think they're around twelve hundred. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Get it out of here. Get it out of here. We'll see. We'll see. I think the Hackintosh market's going to get a good boost. Uh, all right, should we read Aaron's email? Yeah, Aaron's all upset. Yeah, he is pissed as he puts it at mobile app developers as a parent. And he'd like to hear our thoughts on the problem. I have a seven-year-old son who takes after dad and loves anything related to computers. About a year ago, I hooked him up to my Google Nexus tablet and forgot to set a pin for purchases. Next thing I know, I get a call from my bank asking if I really ran up a $500 bill in charges to Google Play. My son had been buying gifts, points, and expansion packs in his favorite game. Oops, my bad. So I did my due diligence, and now I gave him his own lockdown profile. But here's the problem. His profile is locked down, so it requires me to find and load a game for him. But it seems like every game I find to test and play for a few minutes works well, but then degrades after an hour into nickel and diming them for upgrades, better weapons, or points. And the game is usually damn near impossible to compete to complete without spending more money. I can only imagine if a car sales worked this way. Wow, look at this guy with his shiny new BMW for only a thousand. Oh, you wanted to be able to put more than a gallon of gas in it? That's twenty five hundred for a fuel tank. Steering wheel? That's going to cost you twelve hundred. We're having a special on windshields and two tires for only. 1337 and we also swap out the go-kart engine for a tractor engine for 9000 this is an ugly situation and it's forced me to stop buying apps for my son how can i tell that an app won't nickel and dime me and more importantly how can i both encourage my fellow developers to stop this bad practice raise their rates so they get their money's worth and make it easy to distinguish these great apps from the sleazy dime apps i look forward to your insight keep up the awesome show boy i feel his pain so hard yeah, so I think before we say what I think we're both going to say, I should tell a little story. I gave my brother uh, the first Kindle Fire that came out as a gift, right? Yeah. The I had, unbeknownst to me, turned on one-click purchasing on it. <laughs> I had a credit card, an Amazon credit card tied to it. He ran up $3,000. He just straight out bought whatever he clicked on. And not digital, from oh, Amazon.com. No. Yeah, because somehow he didn't have to log in because I had logged in. I guess 10 minutes before to do something. Oh, no. So yeah. did you then, did, were you able to send that stuff back? Well, the nice thing was because it was an Amazon card and um, Amazon, you know, they were able to just cancel all the orders immediately. Because I noticed oh, okay. instantly because I got an email saying, your credit card is over the limit. Thanks for spending I a bajillion like, dollars. I was like, wait, what? Yeah, like I barely use it. Like, well, how could it be over the limit? Uh, so, and he... He has done that in in-app purchases as well. Mm-hmm. Not to the same extreme level. It's even for me, it's frustrating because not even from the purchasing standpoint, because thankfully that's, you know, fairly kind of behind a few screens now. But for kids, yeah. it's just what it is, is they a lot of times they're just touching anything on the screen that lights up or moves. And so the developers are making these flashy. They're making them pop up. So my kids are constantly 
hitting those. And then, Dad, it's not working. And because there's a prompt up, do you really want to buy this item? And, you know, they know to hit cancel now, but sometimes different, especially on Android, not so much on iOS, but especially on Android, the the purchase screens all look a little different. So the buttons aren't uniform. And so, and sometimes it's like a little tiny X in like the left corner of it. And, you know, it's all this weird stuff and it's confusing for them. So just on top of all everything else, it's bad UI. Now here's, here is, here's a devil's advocate. You ready? Go with it. I think I'm on the other side, actually. So go with it. How how is this that much different than going to the arcade and pumping quarters into an arcade machine? It's not. Then that's what I was going to say. And additionally, the reason this is happening, you remember we've had our soapbox about software pricing, um, and unfortunately, this is you know, this is the Pied Piper coming to call. Right? You're, you, all these apps are now basically free, or God forbid, two dollars, and. Um, and now you're getting these sleazy business models. Unfortunately, as long as these are the models that succeed, these are the models you're going to see. So as average consumers, are we now forced to only ever trust the featured list in these big markets? Because The they're... problem is the featured list is often full of these apps now, right? Hmm. That's a shame. So if you want to make a difference as a consumer, A, it doesn't matter unless millions of people do it, but... You know, don't shy away from that ten or twenty dollar app, right? Or game. Don't buy the ninety nine cent one. Don't buy the free one. Go for the ten dollar or twenty dollar one. The problem is, is I think that is only that's only pissing in the wind because they're right. The the overall trend is not your friend because of the price I mean, because of the money these guys are making. Right, because the platforms have commoditized software developers. And the issue, and I'll be honest, like if you're doing a business model for a game now, which I've recently done, you're nuts if you're trying to charge for the game on mobile. Yeah. Because the data is not, I mean, the data is very clear. It's it's not a sustainable business model to charge. So, it, I mean, I, I feel George's pain. I just, you know, this is this is the same thing we've been talking about for over a year now. And I, I kind of feel like maybe back when we started the show, there was a chance that things because things could have gone the other way, right? Yeah. But this is yeah, it's. I, I think I think the check it's over, right? Like yeah. it's it's done. So it's interesting because I think the only thing that prevented this from really happening on the web was nobody could really nobody settled on a, on a decent microtransaction payment payment platform, right? And uh, the platform providers in this case, just they handle that aspect of it. You know, you got Google Wallet, you got the iOS store, you got the, all, the, all of the stores have their own payment system now. So it's been available. I feel like there was attempts to do this on the web a few years ago. And you always had this resistance to PayPal or you had a resistance to Amazon or you had a resistance to whatever. And it never really was quite well integrated and smooth enough. But with, with these systems now, with credit card on file, one-click purchase... It removed the friction. It provided the payment platform in terms everybody was like could agree on, even if they didn't love them. And boom! I mean, it almost seemed obvious. It almost seems obvious in retrospect. This is what would happen. I, so I, I think the real problem is that there was a time when app prices were and games, you know, just using app very generically here, right, were driven down, and we still didn't have these in-app purchase models. So for a time, the mass you know, the mass um, general of the populace was thrilled about either all apps are free or 99 cents, right? And there was no downside. 
because developers were buying into the whole volume lie, right? You'll make it up on volume, which has turned out not to be true. And now those same developers are, you know, let's not forget with this whole mobile boon, how many mobile development shops have gone bankrupt, right? It's not been, you know, the, the gold rush that, that they play it out to be an Ars Technica. Or, or uh, TechCrunch, right? TechCrunch right. makes I, I it... Have, you know, TechCrunch, you can't... Yeah, you launch a mobile app, you, you can't lose, right? You're a I rock mean, star. You're a rock star, and VCs are throwing money at you, according to TechCrunch. I mean, the, the, the truth is, even, just like any other business, the vast majority of dev shops go bankrupt in a year, just like a restaurant, just like any other kind of business. And you don't have to take my word. The, uh, the United States government, if you're thinking of American companies... They have that on the Small Business Association. You can just look it up. It's a figure. Most don't make the first year. And even more don't make it to two years. And I hate to say it, but that's definitely been the case of mobile gaming, right? Um, And this is what they have to do to survive. Yeah, I guess my main problem with it is um, where does it end? Because what it enables is it enables at a faster rate than we've seen before, the sort of erosion of high-quality talent and the outsourcing to very low-cost, mass-quantity mass talent. You know, I don't mean to be that guy, but you look at you look at a lot of these apps, at least in my experience, the ones that uh, have really been super naggy to me have also felt like they were developed by people who don't speak English. The UI, just sort of, there's, there's, there's elements to the UI that has somebody who's used these devices for a long time. I can kind of detect some sort of design differences there, uh, but mainly it's in the language structure and, and how the prompts come up and what they say and, and, and really how awful the grammar is. To me, it seems obvious that what these companies are doing is maybe they're buying an engine, they're hiring uh, 40 developers out of China for two months, and they're crapping together some code, and then they keep them on retainer from that point forward to continue to build little um, um, you know, uh, cash items that people will buy in the store. And these, they can just pay these guys a small, low rate and they just keep coming up with crap to sell in these stores. And it's, it's not providing jobs for developers. It's not providing a quality experience for users. And it's not, in my opinion, really helping the platform look better either. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, the data I've seen doesn't necessarily prove that, but the overall IT trend certainly does. Um, yeah. What I think you can prove by looking at the data is what I would call the Walmartification of the App Store, right? Mm. And I don't mean this, you know, I, don't, I know people have strong feelings about Walmart. I hate them with a fiery passion. Um, oh, they, they were going to sponsor. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah uh, uh, Walmart's new digital app service. Uh, great and, and the reason is because they are dishonest. Yeah. Like, I have reasons personally know that they, I never worked for them, but very dishonest company. What they did when they, when they came to fame is they pushed all the mom and pops out of business by, taking losses by forcing manufacturers to take losses, right? So if I owned, you know, Michael's auto supply store and I'm selling some oil for $20 a can, Walmart would tell the manufacturer, you're going to give it to us for 11 and we're going to sell it for 15. Right. What happens? I'm out of business. And what do they do? They hire me to manage the next Walmart. And, you know, not to name names, but our Zingas, you know, our glue mobiles, that's exactly what they're doing. They're either doing it the nice way and aqua hiring these smaller devs who yeah, have good ideas, right, right. or they're simply saying, that's a great game that you're charging $3 for. We're going to clone it in three months because we have a bigger staff than you. But to be and, fair, that doesn't actually seem to have worked out so well for them in the long term. I mean, Zynga's definitely kind of on a downward spiral, and it started when they were really kind of publicly called out for essentially cloning so, a game. So Zynga 
has taken a lot of the flack, right? But yeah. think about Blue Mobile and a number of other companies that if we wanted to do the research, we could find their names that publish. If you look at the games charts, it's about four different big companies now, right? Well, how much do we see like, you know how the BBC had the office and then it came to America and there's the office. How much are we going to see of that where like maybe there's some apps that are a hit in one country. So then another country kind of takes it and clones it and regionalizes it. And- right. That's happening, but it's what I'm seeing now is more, you know, the Asian style uh, microtransaction games are coming here. Right. Yeah. But that's not an app thing. That's even on PC games. Yeah. We're seeing a lot more Asian themed microtransaction and games. consoles. But which is a natural right, which is a natural market cycle, though, right? I mean, we've been exporting, we as in Europe and the United States, Skyrim and all those types of things. Yeah, um, yeah, I agree. To them, so I, I see. I guess I don't. The regional thing doesn't bother me as much as it bothers you. To me, it's the the knocking out of these smaller to medium sized companies and forming these, you know, four or five big silos, right? Where they're basically games. Well, they're basically baby EA. I mean, if we really want to name names. Right, they're they're coding sweatshirts. <laughs> oh, the email is going to be fantastic. The uh, shivers. Yeah. All right. Well, we do have one more email. You ready? Yes. <clears throat> All right. So, were we speaking of lawyers last week? I think I made a crack about my lawyer. Oh, okay. All right. Well, so uh, <clears throat> excuse me as I have a little post nasal drip. Mike writes in and says, hey guys, really enjoyed and was sympathetic to your office hours discussion. Speaking of lawyers, my lawyer has the best system I've ever heard. Oh yeah, we kind of compared how dealing uh, with that, like if you if you had a, like an emergency after hours with your lawyer, you couldn't just call them up and like, right, hey, yeah, right. hey lawyer. Uh, when you call him, his answered machine immediately picks up with a message, you've reached so-and-so and I never answer this phone, so if you leave your message, I'll get back to you. <laughs> I've done that. Um, people hate that, actually. People really hate that. Uh, I would love to change my voice message to that, but I would get fired pretty fast. I believe professors like lawyers, doctors, engineers, etc. can get away with this because they have an association that regulates them. These associations fight for their legislation, impose minimum fees that must be charged, and define the work environment for their members. IT workers, on the other hand, are completely unregulated. Anyone can call themselves an IT professional or an iOS, Java, Ruby, etc. developer without any school or recognized training. He's not necessarily saying this is good or bad. But someone couldn't just call themselves a doctor after reading Teach Yourself to Be a Doctor in 24 Hours. There is a stigma out there that anyone can be a programmer and that programming is easy. I believe that generates a lack of respect for IT workers and why we are always put in the basement. Just my two cents, Mike. Well, that is that is really interesting. And I'm kind of digging on his... Uh, back to... So I actually did set... I set a voicemail. It said something like... Um, uh, hi, you've reached Chris. Uh, I'm probably at a client right now, so I don't generally uh, I don't generally answer the phone. But you can contact me, and I gave out my email address, and I said, you know, or you can file a ticket, and I gave out where to go file a ticket, and then I said, or you can leave me a voicemail, and I will try to get back to you towards the end of the day, or something like that. It was, you know, it was polite, but it was basically don't leave me a voicemail. And uh, I had to change it after about two weeks because I kept getting crap from my clients. <laughs> they didn't like it, but I like the idea, and maybe it is because we're not uh, part of an association. I don't know. So, you know, this idea of getting some kind of centralized certification or um, I've heard of people saying that software developers should get, you know, licensing like architects do, right? This comes out every few years and I think it's correctly struck down. One of the strengths of this industry is that it moves very quickly. Right. 
Um, architecture does not for a reason, right? People die if you build a bridge wrong. Yeah, same I mean, with the medical field. Right. I mean, doctors are different. And also, one of the other strengths is that To me, this whole, the certification would make sense if you could prove to me that a classically trained developer is categorically better than one who's self-taught. And I don't want to bleed into our main show, but so far, I'm actually finding the opposite. And I understand that I'm extremely biased, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> what would this certification be about? Is it going to be about calculus? Because that almost never matters. Right. Right. right yeah. And frankly, I don't know my... A damn thing about calculus, but I can Google it, and that's good enough. Um, now, if it was about not blowing up my source control, well, then I think you should take the exam. Um, you know, and frankly, I've also interviewed a number of Java certified developers who don't know shit about Java. So, I, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> maybe maybe this is back to the school systems not. You know, we've kind of hit this before. Where I feel like programming is more akin to being a carpenter than to say an accountant. Okay, sure, right. sure. Uh, and maybe, you know, I guess to put this without getting into a whole big debate is that what is going to be on this test that you can prove to me will make someone who's passed this test a good developer? Huh. Right? I mean, to me, the best things to put on the test would be like analogies and logic puzzles, not math. Um, you know, I know we have this image of the lone hacker who can't talk to people and freezes up in front of a secretary. Right. Frankly, that guy is useless. Right. Like uh, people exploit that guy. Is that what? That's what that guy's. That's the for. guy you pay <clears throat> seven seven twenty five an hour because you know he can't ever get promoted anywhere else. Yeah, and yeah, right. Yeah. It, you think you own him? You, you're rude to him. Yeah. Yeah, and I like you know what Alex is saying. Programming really isn't a science. Right. I mean, maybe maybe when computers were first invented. Right, maybe in the fifties, sixties, and even seventies. All right, sure. You know, more of a mathematical discipline. But let's be real. You know, today's Java developer doesn't need to know why you know one function, one sort function, is better than the other. He just needs to know when to use one or the other. Right. And in fact, ninety percent of the time, even if he makes the wrong choice, it doesn't matter. Right. It's you know you can Google that kind of stuff, but you can't Google how to not embarrass your employer in a meeting. Right. Or how to not, you know, be awkward in the office and lead to some kind of HR issue, mm -hmm. which is something that unfortunately <laughs> happens more than I'd like to admit with people. Like, <sighs> I've been at clients where they tell me, you know, you're replacing a guy because he's, you know, he, he's going into sensitivity training. Like, in fact, you know, maybe every program, every computer science course should have, you know, 20 credits of art and literature or something to, to get everybody to be a little more. I don't know. I, Chris, what do you think? I, maybe I'm hitting it pretty hard, but well, um, I don't know. I, I so, uh, one of our, you know, one of the topics that I think we should talk about this week is interviewing yeah. and, you know, I've done, you know, I don't know, probably a dozen interviews. I haven't nothing heavy, but I've definitely done enough where I've gotten a sense of, you know, what, what, uh, what, what, you know, I've, I've hired, I've done enough where I've, I thought somebody was a good interview and then I hired them and then I realized, oh, this is actually what I should have asked during the interview. You know, I've had enough of those bad experiences too. So while I think maybe it's a little more pronounced in the developer community than it is in the IT community, I see it too. I see these server guys who are, 
you know, your traditional, uh, you know, long beard who really doesn't interact very well and kind of makes it awkward. So I see it too. I've seen it in IT. Um, but why don't we, uh, before we jump into uh, some Hoopla and the interview, why don't we take a little pause here and uh, thank our first sponsor? Let's do it. All right, Mr. Dominic, I mentioned him last week, and we're back with Unity Sync, and this is something that uh, I am really happy to have on the Jupiter Broadcasting Network because I know somebody out there is living in the hell that I once had to suffer where I was trying to move data between multiple types of desperate directory, disparate directories that maybe are completely and totally foreign to each other. For example, I had this situation in the past where I was trying to move between an old uh, e-directory installation on a NetWare box to an Active Directory installation. That was a nightmare. It involved moving things out to static files, massaging the data in Excel, which, by the way, thankfully, I was able to get somebody else to do that part because I would have horribly ruined that. That would have introduced so much room for human error. And then using these old clunky network tools to import it into eDirectory or export it. It was awful. Unity Sync, this is a great example of something Unity Sync solves. It can move the data between these two directories intelligently, automatic, routinely, and even based off templates. And you, it has a scripting backend. If you need to do a little massaging programmatically, you can. And I love that. Also think of the uh, the classic dir- uh, situation in a business where you have data islands. Maybe you have an HR application that has a Microsoft SQL database. and uh, Or maybe it has a MySQL database and it's some sort of web app. And you want to synchronize it to your Active Directory, so that way your exchange is up to date when you have a new hire, or you have somebody whose phone number gets changed, or you have that last name change that happens several times a, a week if you're in a large company. I, I once had a gal who, had, who at, the, at the fifth time, I said, no, I will not change your last name anymore. I won't do it. I won't do it. I won't. I, I refuse, because back in the days of NT4, this was a total nightmare. It was, it was completely unautomated, and it was awful. Something like Unity Sync would have been like giving a caveman a microwave. Well, and a power source. I mean, it's a pretty big deal. And it's not just me saying that. If you go over to uh, derwiz.com, go and click on Unity Sync. And then while you're over there, check out their notable customers. They've got the Air Force Command and Control Information Systems for Canada. They, I, that's just one of them. They've got NFL leagues on here, tons and tons of military contracts, uh, all kinds of really interesting and desperate, uh, or disparate, I don't know why I keep saying desperate, disparate companies like Omnicom. They're big, big in the marketing, big in the messaging. I bet they have all kinds of things they have to sync between different uh, uh, directories. T-Mobile for the Czech Republic. How about that? How about that? That is really something. The state of Delaware is a customer of Unity Sync. United Healthcare is a customer of Unity Sync. U.S. Marine Corps is a customer of Unity Sync. This is enterprise-grade software. It runs on Windows or Linux, and it clocks in at under 5 megabytes. You can go grab the 5 megabyte download right now if you use the code CODER. When you get that download, you get an extended 30-day trial and your first year of maintenance for free if you decide to pull the trigger. That's a pretty great deal. Uh, this Unity Sync is, is really something. If you're stuck out there needing to move information between directories, solve some of these age-old IT problems with Unity Sync. Go to derwiz.com, click on Unity Sync, and then when you decide to do a download, just put in that code CODER right there, ladies and gentlemen, and you will get an extended trial. Thanks to Directory Wizards and Unity Sync for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. Thanks to you guys for checking it out. Okay, Mr. Dominic. So, uh, did you want to cover a little bit of Dev Hoopla before we uh, got into oh, the interviews? Oh, that's true. We, we did have some Dev Hoopla. Yeah. And, and I think you kind of brushed upon this before, so why don't you give it a go? All right. <clears throat> Stand aside. Um, so, there was an, an Indian IT firm accused of discrimination. <laughs> I love it. They just put it right in the uh, headline. against stupid Americans. And I don't know if you've ever... If, if you've, have you ever worked in a call center, Michael? 
Any I have kind not, of, no. Okay. So, um, it, you a good call center. Uh, this is sort of the the unfortunate side effect of a good call center is it's a it becomes a click. You're you're a, you are a group that is un, in combat, and you are soldiers in combat together, and you kind of. You kind of have all of these in jokes and you do get a little, at least in my experience, that kind of group can sometimes get a little uh, hostile. Uh, Infosys, <laughs> an Indian IT software and services company with offices throughout the world, has been accused of discriminating against American job applicants. One of Infosys's employees who raised concerns about the company's hiring practices was repeatedly called a stupid American, so says the lawsuit. By the way, Infosys has about 15,000 employees in the U.S., and approximately 90% of these employees are South a- of South Asian descent, and uh, including individuals from India, uh, um, well, all over the place. I don't know why they have to go through all. InfoSys uh, allegedly achieved this ratio by directing discriminating against individuals by directly discriminating against individuals who are not of South Asian descent in hiring by abusing the H-1B visa process to bring workers of South Asia descent into the country rather than hiring qualified individuals already in the U.S. So this is kind of something we've been kicking around. It's sort of topical on the, on the theory. We've had a lot of theory recently. Now Infosys is being sued saying this is actually what's happening. What do you think of that? Yeah, I mean... This, this is kind is of what we talked about, where they were looking over... I know, but this is... Yeah. We were... I mean, this is this just happened. This was published so, on the 5th. We were just talking about this. It's, so what they're doing, or what they're... I guess we have to say allegedly in this country. Yeah. Right? <clears throat> but I, this, yeah, honestly, allegedly. I've been in a call center... I know how these things work. People, the people form cliques and groups, and it, you know, you say things, you do things you normally wouldn't do. In but let's let's be clear, it's not it's not really about call center jobs, right? No, I guess not. But I just no, I can see how these are actual like sysadmins. But I can not... see how they could be a group of people that might discriminate. I don't mean to, you know, I just could see how maybe it might not it might not so, be this so big story issue, we're making it out if you, to be. If you read the uh, the complaint that went to the court, it's not about the. Because actually, stupid Americans wouldn't be considered a racist term, right? So you really don't have <laughs> more like an accurate term. Well, it's, it's you know <laughs> if they if they went deeper into maybe a certain group of Americans, then they would probably be in a lot more trouble. I hope. But at any group, it doesn't it doesn't yeah, matter. But no, just right. Americans in general isn't enough. But they're what the suit alleges and is a crime is if they're writing job descriptions intentionally to disqualify uh, Americans. So the allegation is that they're demanding these higher degrees, so doctorates basically, right, that no, no American would, would take for that pay. So they're, they're finding the person first and then yeah. writing the job description for him. Yeah, I, that is what, yeah, I mean, that's what the complaint alleges here. Right. And, you know, this, we've had people write in saying that this has happened at their companies. We've not published names of companies because that's uh, not that we're journalists in quotes, but that that would be journalism um what bothers me and and what this complaint sort of exposes and this is this is the part where you take a slippery slope and you turn it into a slip and slide um because uh what the complaint alleges is that it's not so they're taking for example microsoft it says americans would be shocked to know that h1 h1bs are not going to microsoft instead they go to these firms largely in india who then find workers engineers who will work the low wages in the u.s for three years and then they pay then Microsoft pays to Infosys or these other types of companies. So it's right. kind of so like these Microsoft. Are going, these are consulting firms. Yeah, Microsoft's just hiring a consulting firm. They're not abusing the immigration right. system. They're just hiring. They, hey, man, we're just we're just we just have a contract with Infosys. No bigs. So and that's why whenever they say, "Oh, Google and you know Microsoft need these," 
it, it's not the people who would be working at Google and Microsoft that are going to be affected, right? It's the people who would work for a company like mine. Right. Well, the problem is it 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 industrializes this abuse of of this ability to abuse this. It right. it takes it from I'm I'm hiring a few people onesie twosie um, all the time to I can hire thirty forty sixty hundred two hundred a thousand people in one go and give these guys a big fat contract and it 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 sort of takes this little dr- a trick trickle of a problem and turns it into a fire hose of a problem because you you really open up the gates when you do this and it will quickly erode uh, the the other people who like yourself you don't want to have to pay it have to charge what a domestic uh, person would have to charge this is this is this this is frightening to me. So the problem is, you know, there's been a lot of discussion even in politics about changing the law. But so, you know, this is one of those things like like import tariffs, right? If there's any loophole, it will be abused. So if you say, okay, foreign companies can't have H-1 visas, fine, open a subsidiary that's based in Delaware, and there you go, right? You're no longer a foreign entity. Um, unfortunately, I think this is just something we're going to have to live with. Unless someone's some politicians willing to be the guy to stand up and say, you know what, no more H one visas, which is a a bad idea, yeah. and b is not a tenable position for either party. Right, right. I mean, the Democrats won't do it because they're all about you know bringing more people in, and the Republicans it would hurt business too much. So well, it's and, really and, yeah, and I and yeah. I, I just uh, yeah, that doesn't seem like the fix. I mean, that would be for people like me and you eliminating H one visas altogether would be you know a dream come true, right? I suppose that so. Just, takes out the competition at the lower end. Right. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah. Let's be clear. This isn't, you know, greedy American small businessmen trying to get rid of foreigners. This is companies exploiting these people, paying them, you know, for a senior level developer, paying them fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 and telling them, if you don't work 60 hours a week, we're sending you home. Hmm. So this is the situation. I mean, you know, I, I know from the feedback from a lot of our listeners, you know, people care, but this isn't a big issue for them, right? So this isn't changing people's voting. Um, and to be fair, neither party wants to stand up and do this. Lawsuit was filed Thursday in U.S. District Court in eastern Wisconsin. The only freaking area where this suit might actually work. He applied, uh, or sorry, she <clears throat> applied for a job as a lead VMware Windows administrator at Infosys. So, I mean, these are just, you know, that's, those are my types of jobs, right? That's my industry type jobs this is affecting. This isn't even a developer position. This is an no, IT this, position. I, and not, not to be cruel, but the IT ones are kind of easier to do it with. Yeah. Especially, I mean, you know, yeah. especially Windows, because there's a lot of training material and it's very standardized. Whereas Unix, you've got to be a little bit more of a specialist to do something really good there. But, the Windows uh, admins really kind of, I, they're the ones I worry the most about. Um, but, you know, at the same time, just a few minutes ago, here you and I were saying one of the best things about our industry is technology changes fast. And one of the things that it shows us oftentimes is as long as we are leading the edge on that. Um, you have to reinvent yourself every five years, basically. Yeah. That's what it comes down to, yeah. And you can either consider that the burden or you can consider that the joy of it, I suppose. Right? Yeah. I mean, th- there could come a point where this gets so out of control that that doesn't help anymore, right? That's why. Yeah, I if, I, if man, if I was if I was an IT guy, I would switch to podcasting. If <laughs> you might, huh? You might, you might, because you might have seen the writing on the wall about ten years ago. You, you know, actually, I re- I remember uh, I worked for a company. I worked for a company that uh, you know their whole gig, right? I was there was was IT guys on the ground, right? They they were you went with them and they would send out a contractor. 
I mean, I did that for years. And uh, I remember thinking, you know, there'll be a day when people don't set up their own mail servers. There's going to be a day when a lot of the stuff lives off in the cloud and it's happening. And this is part of it. This is sort of an, this is happening at the other angle, at the other end. Getting chewed yeah, it's, you know, it, there's a lot of doom and gloom around this stuff, but yeah, I was trying to turn it. I was, I was trying yeah. to turn that frown upside down because I don't want this to be the uh, the uh, the downer that, podcast. Yeah, and I would say that you know, to be honest, I'm seeing with a lot of clients that they've gone overseas and then come back. Yeah, yeah, um, that yeah. that is that is true, right? Uh, right. You you have people who want a premium product and they know what it takes. Yeah, at some point, what is it? They used to say, "You get what you pay for," right? I mean that. Just like anything else, you could buy the cheapest car at the used car lot. Best of luck with that, right? All right. All right. Anyway, okay. moving well, on to in- unqualified Americans. Before we get to the unqualified Americans, I'd like to thank our second sponsor uh, this sure. week. Uh, these guys are, uh, these guys are you know, GoDaddy.com. They're, they are the world's number one domain name registrar. There's no beating around the bush. They are the dominant player in the market, and now they're making things even better. They're responding to your demands. They know you guys are a sophisticated crowd, and you don't need all of the extra options because you know when you are on a mission, you're going in for a tactical strike of a dot-com. You know exactly what you need, and then you're getting the F out of there. So GoDaddy.com has set up the new Express Pathway checkout system. We've got that linked in our show notes. You go to Coder Radio Show Notes, click the GoDaddy link, and you get the new Express checkout. If you use the code CODER249, you're going to get that .com for $2.49. That's cheaper than some apps out there. I mean, talk about GoDaddy is like in the arms race for .coms, and they are launching them out of cannons of awesome. And let me tell you, at CODER249, you're getting that .com for so cheap that you can use it for just about anything. I have, uh, I, I have bought a couple of different dot coms to point at my home address. So that way later on, if I decide to break these, these uh, services that I'm setting up at my house off to a VPS or on scale engine or something like that, I, I don't want to have to reconfigure all of the applications. I, I don't want to have to go back and change the IP. I just have it all going to a dot com. And it's easy to remember for my wife and later on for my kids. It's super fun. It's something, it's, it's an in, it's an in, it's an in home joke between all of us too. So it's great. And when I've, I've been here for people that have been using these for wedding invitations, for party invitations, my grandpa's birthday. Oh, oh I, I should have told you. I meant to tell you in the feedback. I, got, I gave my grandpa a gift. I'll tell you about that. And I got him a dot com too. When you're using the code coder 249 at checkout, you get anything for $2.49 bones. Also, if you want to buy some other stuff, maybe you're getting some hosting. It's got to be a new product, something new for you. If it's something new, throw all that stuff in a cart, get it all nice and high, get a bunch of money, and then just take a machete Whatcha? And that machete is the code go 32 off 4 Whatcha? That's what you need to do. Uh, that'll take it down to 32% right off the top. Boom. You're Mitt Romney up in here lowering the rates. You're lowering the rates down to 32% or taking it off. We're karate chopping the 32%. Boom. Bam. How you doing? 32%. Go 32 off 4 when you check out over at GoDaddy.com. Thank you, everybody, for supporting our sponsors using Coder 249 or Go32 off 4 Check out that new Express, Express Pathway when you click our link in the show notes. And thanks to GoDaddy for sponsoring the Coda Radio program. All right, so interviews. Boy, those are just a disaster, aren't they? Yes, but what is your grandpa's gift? Oh, I'm curious now. Oh, yeah, geez, I already, God, I tell you, with the no sleep, man, my yeah. mind is a total, it is freaky how much of a sieve it is. Uh, so my grandpa turned 80 this weekend on Saturday, and uh, I decided that I would get him. So they have been using um, an at MSN email address for like forever, Oh, man. Like, since MSN was like a service that was a competitor with AOL and you dialed up to it, that's how long they've had it. 
And I was like, you know, Grandma and Grandpa, you guys got to get a new email address. You guys got to. So I decided to do two things. I mean, how many times does your grandpa turn 80, right? So um, I'll tell you one, actually. So I gave him my old Nexus 7. Oh, I got it working, by the way. I got my Nexus 7 nice. working. Um, there's nice. a there's a little trick. You have to use the original Asus power adapter, and it helps if you use the Asus power cord. Then you plug it in, and then you unplug it after an hour, and then you plug it in again and hold down the power and the volume down button, I believe. Anyways, Google has a guide on it, and it will actually charge it. So I got it working again. I updated it to uh, 4.3 for him, and then I gave him the Android tablet with their own email dom- domain set up on it in the mail program. So they have their own .com now. And when they get, so they got the tablet and they just have a little button on there and they can hit it and it brings up their email. So that, so I don't know if I'm going to get the new Nexus seven now that I got rid of it. I'm just going, nice. I'm just Nexus free right now. I'm just Nexus free. Yeah. But they, <laughs> my grandpa, so it's funny because, uh, I, I gave, I gave him a tablet a couple years ago, uh, like a little clunker that I had gotten. Um, and he loves it, but it was stuck on Android like four Oh, and he was just complaining to me that, oh, yeah, this tablet's great. But, and he, you know, my grandpa's like, I want to try 4.3, but I can't get it loaded on here. And I'm like, just wait till the presents, grandpa. Just wait till the presents. <laughs> All right, Mr. Dominic. So interviews, where do you want to start? I've been interviewing. <laughs> you sound thrilled about it. I have to say, uh, oh, I got stung by 10 wasps yesterday. What? Hello, everybody. Yeah, my dog and my neighbor's dog joined forces to stupidly attack a wasp nest. Oh man, you had to uh, so, go. You had to go break it up. So to be an idiot, I decided to save the dogs, <laughs> and the did wasp you, did kicked you, the shit out of me. Did you? Did you just tell me you just like stood back and took the hose to him? Right? You just were like, no, nope. I grabbed the dogs like an idiot. I dove in there. Oh man, and I, I took a took a beating. Yeah, bees hate water. Just so you know. So these are wasps, not bees. But oh, all right. Well, maybe they're. These I don't are the know. guys that can sting you and not die. So, so they are. Are you all right? Happy. Did you get like... Yeah, it turns out I'm not allergic at all. Okay, good, good. Yeah. So How are the I, dogs? I, oh, the dog didn't get touched. <laughs> it's just me. Couldn't get through the fur, huh? Well, I think, you know, if you've ever played an MMO, like my threat meter was much higher than my dog's. Yeah, you pair, aggroed right? the bees. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I aggroed the whole hive. Yeah. <laughs> but speaking of aggro... Yeah. Uh, so I've been interviewing, and um, wow... So it's kind of funny because me and uh, Oren Ainey, also known as Ayende Rahim, have uh, also been interviewing at about the same time. And we've come to the same conclusion, though my standards are far lower than his. And I linked, or will link, I should say, to some of his posts in the uh, in the chat room. Definitely go check it out at Ayende.com. So, Chris, are you familiar with FizzBuzz? Oh, that does ring a bell. But I yes. don't remember. I, again. It's the thing where you take like numbers one to a thousand. If it's divided yeah. by fifteen, yeah, yeah. type fizzbuzz. Yeah. yeah, fizzbuzz. Yeah, yeah. I have given that test ten times. It has been failed <laughs> ten times. The uh, the fizzbuzz test is an interview question designed to help filter out ninety nine point five of the programming job candidates who can't seem to program their way out of a wet paper bag. <laughs> That's it a good slogan. Just a terrible experience. Um, you know, and, and I'm not particular, right? So these are interns. So I'm just like, uh, cause, so I should give some background. We're looking for, you know, some QA de- intern, interns basically do a little bit of QA development, right? We're going to train them. We're going to teach them how to do test driven development, stuff like that. Do you fall away uh, from your microphone? You're sounding like you're distant. Am I better now? Yeah. It's the sadness. Oh, it's the sadness. <laughs> So we, uh, you know, this isn't like, we're not going to have them doing client stuff. This is just, you know, 
we have internal projects such as CodeJournal. We'd like people to help us do unit testing, write some tests, document some bugs. Now, this is a really cushy gig. But you have to pass the FizzBuzz. All we ask. Oh, man. I think I'd fail we pref- FizzBuzz. We prefer that you be in New Jersey, right? So, so you come to the office. What's the, now, I, I'm getting the sense maybe this is a younger crowd because you're going for the intern. So these are college students. Okay. These are juniors, okay. seniors. But they're, so far, they've all been in um, computer science, computer information systems, um, whatever you want to call programming, right? Yeah, yeah. So they've taken theoretically some sort of course material on it. Oh, yeah. Many of them have taken calculus. Very well, useful. Uh, I, have, I have come at this from the other angle. Um, okay. I, have, I have interviewed a lot of guys who are older than myself. Right. Especially at the time. Not so maybe, I don't know now. Yeah, probably still. I'm sure that would happen. But um, I have had the opposite end where, because a big part of my job is client re- was at the time client relationships and, you know, being, you know, comfortable around the clients. I, a lot of times, mistook confidence for expertise early on in my interviews. So when somebody seemed confident in their presentation, comfortable in their appearance, uh, I, a lot of times, mistook that as not a presentation, but as backed by, you know, experience. That was one of my biggest mistakes. So I've kind of had the other problem where I've interviewed interviewed older folks who sort of come off as well-equipped socially and prepared and intelligent. Right. Um, but maybe are actually just better at doing interviews than they are at actually doing jobs. That's happened. And so I've, I, I don't know, I, you know, it doesn't get much better with age, it seems. I hope you're wrong. I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> so, uh, all right, you know, let, let's go through my process, though, because I, and this is, you know, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what I'm doing wrong here, and I think this will be helpful to the audience. So, interviews, there's a phone screen, right? And that phone screen is as though you were interviewing for any office job. Sure. Are you psychotic? Right, right, right. Did like, you really you, miss something up? Mess? Did you really say something wrong? We don't even need to bother. You know, are you reasonably pleasant right like <laughs> the, the basic stuff for any job right yeah, i mean yeah. you know nothing no i'm not doing any kind of brain teasers there's no like you know hey why are manhole covers around by the way it's so they can't fall in uh you know it's nothing like that Don't yeah do that. i interviewed for google one time and they were all yeah. about the tricky questions i'm not doing that because these are interns and frankly i expect them to know virtually nothing yeah Right, but if you've taken Java's one, two, three, and four, I kind of expect you to be able to do FizzBuzz. Sure. In fact, if you've taken Java one, I expect you to do FizzBuzz. By the way, we'll have FizzBuzz linked in the show notes if you guys want to go take the test. And I'm sure next week I'm going to miraculously get a bunch of people who do it right. Um, no one's done it correctly, and I'm not even saying you have to do it in any one language, right? Like I could make this hard and be like, do it in Objective C because most of them won't even know the syntax. Additionally, I'm not looking for syntax. I'm just looking, do you have the rationale to solve the problem? Yeah. Yeah, right. And what's your process and how comfortable are you in that process? Basically, right? Because all, all, all I'm looking for is someone to help me with our internal projects and our game projects on quality assurance. So what do you right? think about maybe giving out some advice for folks who are looking for jobs? Because I know we hear from a lot of people who are on the interview scene right so, now. So there, there's, there's been something, an interesting phenomenon. Okay. The people who ask or have the highest hourly pay expectations have done the worst on the questions and on FizzBuzz. You think that's just what do you what do you think that is? I have no idea. There seems to be no correlation between GPA and how close or 
far, I should say, they are from the right solution. There, there seems to be almost no correlation between their academics and the ability to pass the test. Um, I, so that's leading me to a few things. Okay. Are my local universities teaching math and calling it computer science? Maybe, right? That, that seems, seems like the truth. Or is this, I mean, is FISBUS too hard for college students? I, I wonder if it's maybe, the, depending on the area, the people who are doing the teaching don't know what the hell they're doing. So the reason I picked FISBUS is when I was in college and I got that Java part-time job, that's what they had me do. <laughs> right? So I'm not, I'm, I didn't pull this out of the air. And if you look at Joel, Joel Spolsky, um, you know, he's had the same problem. And he, his test, is, he goes further, but he starts with FISBUS. So this isn't like some random thing. Like I'm not saying they're like, you know what? Build me World of Warcraft, right? I'm not being a tool. Yeah, that's exactly what I mean, Zane. FizzBuzz is... Zane, luckily enough, was brought on before I started doing the test, it looks like. But I bet you Zane would pass. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, it's harder to find qualified people, maybe? Maybe you should uh, try uh, Maybe you should try an uh, H1B1. So, so, <laughs> oh. oh my goodness! So what I'm concerned with is, you know, these are not freshmen, right? These are juniors and seniors. And for many of them in May, they're going to go out and they're going to get jobs. Maybe. Are we going to have just an entire class of totally incompetent junior developers? <laughs> well, they're going to have to learn quick. <laughs> is, that, is that what's up? Like, Well, you know, maybe it's just that these are kind of skills that school just doesn't really have, is not well equipped to teach. And the only real way to learn is by doing because you have to solve a problem. But when someone comes to you and they've taken, you know, principles of software development, Java programming is one, two, and three, or whatever, and they can't write what should be a 50 or less, you know, Java, bit of Java code, right? And it doesn't have to be Java, like I said. Something's wrong. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Something's very wrong. What I found during my interview process was that, you know, because experience varied so much, what I really kind of landed on is sussing out if people had a passion for the topic that I was interviewing them for. And then, you know, mm-hmm. kind of following it from that direction. So a lot of times what it is is you have people who are not really, they're not, they just haven't figured it out yet that they're not going after the right job. They're not going after the job that, that excites them, that it really is their passion. Because when you talk to those people, it almost, you know, their eyes light up. You can almost just tell immediately this person lives this. Um, and that was sort of the sense that I started to try it. Then that would sort of be what I would align the interview from. And, you know, Obviously, if the job required that somebody knew how to use SSH, I'd make sure that they had that skill set and stuff like that. But eventually, I would try to look for the passion, the intellect, and the ability to learn combined with past examples of accomplishing tasks, you know, successfully from the resume and from talking with them. Then normally, you know, that would be essentially kind of what I would hone in on. But, you know, I wasn't hiring developers. I don't know. Maybe, you know. There's so not really I a test actually, you can give them. It's like you I can't should actually thank it. you. I've been using one of your questions. What blogs, tech magazines, or podcasts do you read or listen to where appropriate? Yeah. Yeah. Does that, does that help? Pretty much. Because um, if they don't have an answer to any of that, then there's an idea. That- so what's interesting is there's a university near me called Monmouth. They are producing the more confident candidates. And 
maybe this is a bad thing to say, but the less traditional what you would think of a software developer, uh, more of that programmer, and they're just not into it, right? For them, it's a job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, it, yeah. Yeah. My alma mater has a few gems, but their programming course is actually tied to the business school. Mm. So it's a business degree, right? It's uh, information systems. And let me tell you, they could write you an Excel macro like it's their job. <laughs> Fizzbuzz? Mm, not so much. That's too bad. Yeah, it's and, and Zane just had a comment in the chat, and if you don't know, Zane's an intern with us. Uh, that until he worked for me, so no one in his, none of his peers in college used Git or source control or anything like that. Well, that's oh, right. Okay, okay. So maybe it is just that I, because remember, I never took a CS course, so maybe I feel like computer science. You know, like if you go get an accounting degree, you're kind of a somewhat competent junior accountant, right? Like. You can go get a job and do data, you know, do bookkeeping. Maybe that's not the case. With right, I think school is trying to teach more conceptual stuff, but they're they're missing the mark. Okay, so let me just give the solution to FizzBuzz, and I'll have to change my thing. Boom! All you have to do to pass my my FizzBuzz is use the the mod function, right? The stupid uh, percent sign thing. That's it. <laughs> that's it. I don't even care if you get it wrong. <laughs> As long as you do that, I'm gonna give it to you. Oh man! Well, there you go. Yeah, now, yeah. Now that's so simple. You gotta, you gotta come up with something else. But, but, but that's it. All you have to do is know that, huh? If, if you know, I mod fifteen equals zero, it must be divisible by fifteen. Now I know. Now I know. Yeah, or if I mod, you know what I mean? It's like, or else if I mod five, else if I. No one has thought to use the mod thing at all. I think it's technically called Modulo, or I can never say it right, but I call it a mod. I think everybody else calls it a mod. Oh. So I don't even care if your parentheses are wrong yeah. or if your syntax is screwed up. You can hand it to me written in lipstick for all I care. That's a pretty low bar. That's a pretty low right. bar. Yeah, you should be able to just step over that bar. Yeah, yeah, or hop, maybe. Glide. Hmm. Well, so now what? Now what do you do? I'm gonna go cry. Is that is that fair enough? <clears throat> you gotta just yeah. Make, what about like finding somebody who's done a little bit of work in that area? Is there anybody that's done that kind of stuff that's at an intern level? Not really. I'm sorry. Repeat the question. Well, I'm just wondering if if you could go find somebody who's maybe put something up on GitHub that you like some sort some you know. Yeah. So that seems to be a better way. And actually, I've started talking to people who listen to Quota Radio that aren't local. Because at least they have a passion, right? Oh, right. You're trying to go local, too, right? I forgot. Yeah, and that adds a layer yeah. of yep. complexity. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Tell me about it. Yeah, absolutely. If I wanted... Yeah. Man, too bad I need somebody here in studio, because if I could hire just anybody around the world, I'd, I'd have some great candidates to pick from. Well, that's the thing. If you, if you could go to... You know, I'm limiting myself to anyone in the U.S., but yeah. Yeah. yeah I like the chat room. They're like, seriously, the answer was just to use mod? What, did I interview you last week? <laughs> Yeah, well, probably, right? That's why I didn't get a call back. Um, all right, well, uh, that's awful. We had a book recommendation from the chat room this week that I thought maybe we'd cover before we get out of here because people, uh, yeah. it's been a little while since we had a book, so I thought maybe people might need a new book. Uh, and this one will bring you, you know, it'll bring you in line with the coding universe. It's called Code, the Hidden Language of Computer Hardware and Software. Now, if you get this bad boy on the Kindle, 10 bones. If you get it on paperback, 11 bones. If you get the hardcover, if you're hardcore, $70. $70 for the hard... That's... Damn. Um, 
I'm going to say probably worth skipping the hardcover for this one, but we'll have it linked in the show notes. And uh, if you click that link and buy this book, it will support the Jupiter Broadcasting Network because it is affiliated. And we appreciate that. And it'll be an interesting read. Our chat room, it became highly recommended from the smart people in the chat room. All right, Mr. Dominic, was there anything else we want to cover before we get out of here? No, uh, we have an exciting show next week, so be sure to tune in live. Great Caesar's Ghost, yeah. Don't forget, uh, the uh, Coda Radio program is live on Mondays at 9 a.m. noon Eastern over at jblive.tv. You can email the show, coderadio at jupiterbroadcasting.com, or hit our contact link. You can also start a thread in our subreddit, coderadio.reddit.com. All right, Mr. Dominic, where should people find you throughout the week? Just find me at dominicm.com, and I'm terribly sorry if I post your uh, answers to interview questions. Oh! All right. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, you can also find links to our social profiles. Those are in the show notes. Just go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com. Click that. Don't forget, you can also subscribe to the RSS feeds. That way you get the show weekly. That's what I would do. And I would tune in live. Boy, that's like too much show. All right, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in this week's episode of Coda Radio. We'll see you right back here next week. <laughs>